0: Welcome into another episode of Real Pod Wednesdays. I'm Dan Hope, joined by Colin Haas-Hill, as always, and we've got a lot to talk about this week. Not great games on the schedule for Ohio State. Rutgers coming up this week. Everybody's expecting a blowout, but a lot of stuff happening in the Ohio State athletic sphere. College football playoff rankings just got updated again on Tuesday night. Chase Young's situation, of course, has been dominating the headlines for the past week. And as we wait to find out what will happen with him and how much longer he'll be suspended and unable to play for the Buckeyes, basketball season started last week. So plenty to talk about, lots of your questions to answer here as well. And right now, Colin, I'm just trying to stay warm. It's pretty cold here in Columbus.
1: Yeah, it is. is. I'm. I also, I, I should mention... Um I'm a, I think we're both, like, slightly concerned because we're recording this right now. It's ten ten a.m. on Wednesday, and we're yes. both, I think, a little horrified of the fact that there's, like, a, there's like an hour window between when we're going to end and when it'll be posted online, probably, um, and we have no idea when the Chase Young News is going to drop.
0: Yes, so, yeah, that's the uh, disclaimer in advance here that we are recording on Wednesday morning. Chase Young News could come at any time really all indications are that that news is probably coming at some point this week so we're not going to get too much into speculating on how long he's going to be suspended or any of that because that could change at any time and we know that a lot of you probably listen to the podcast on Thursday or Friday and we don't we don't know when that news is coming we're not telling you it's coming today we're we're just saying that uh, we don't know when it's coming so we don't want to get into a lot of speculation on that and then have it all be wrong and have no reason for you guys to listen to a whole segment of a podcast truth once that comes out so we'll talk about a little bit but we'll start out by talking about this past weekend's game against Maryland and we expected fully that it was going to be a big win for Ohio State as well as the Buckeyes have played this year Maryland was struggling going into that game we expected a big win for the Buckeyes but still an impressive performance as dominant as Ohio State was, they dominated right from a jump, 73-13 to 13 win, a, a completely different game than what we saw against Maryland last year.
1: You, you, you say that right. I mean, there was, there, was, there was no play at the end of the game where I was wondering whether Ohio State would actually get upset by Maryland. It was more, um, can Chris Chuganov complete a 46-yard touchdown pass to Garrett Wilson? Those are my questions late in the
0: game. Yes, it was a much different game. Ohio State scored on each of its first six possessions. Defense was dominant, shut the Terrapins out for a whole half. Last year, the Buckeyes allowed 51 points on 535 yards against Maryland. This year, they held Maryland to only 139 yards. Both of Maryland's touchdowns came in the second half after Ohio State had already taken its starters out of the game. And they did all this without Chase Young. So I think that made a clear statement about just how much better the Buckeyes are on defense this year.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you just want to look at one player, it's Anthony McFarland Jr., who had six carries for I believe seven yards. Seven yards. And last last year, after three carries, he had 151 yards, <laughs> and he ended the game averaging 14 and a half yards per carry with 298 rushing
0: yards. That yeah, is a the, little. That is the a ultimate
1: tale of two games.
0: Absolutely. Just a a totally different defense this year. Still ranked as the number one defense in the country in just about every major category now. The Buckeyes have allowed less points than any other team. They've allowed less yards per game. They've allowed yes yards per play. And it's just a total defensive effort. And we saw that this week where they were without their best defensive player. And at least against Maryland, it really didn't matter because they have so much talent around them.
1: No, I mean that—that's sort of the whole the whole theme of the of the of the Chase Young suspension. I mean, it was it was bad. Uh, Ohio State would never wants to have it happen. Yet at the same time, there there is part of you where it's like, well, Chase Young would have played uh, two quarters. That's what he would have played uh, last week, and that's what he presumably would have played um, this weekend if uh, if the suspension uh, holds up and he, and he doesn't play against Rutgers, because ultimately. Like these these games, if they had me at defensive end, they would have won they would I think they would've covered the spread. I mean this is the, the these teams were so overmatched and it and it really like to me it just shows you the the difference between the two teams this year and last year. I mean, it's just, the, the problem is at this point in the year, it just feels like we're repeating what we've said uh, for the entire season. But it is true. I mean the, the uh, uh, Ohio State's the, the the problems, the issues that that were that were so readily apparent every single week last year they're, they're they're so readily apparent that they are not an issue this year and and it's just been the entire theme of the season and you look on offense they, they they have really no problem moving the ball downfield in fact they do it through the air a little bit more than we've seen uh the entire season
0: on the defensive side of the ball a few guys who I fought played particularly well in this past week's game Devon Hamilton we've talked about him all year he had two sacks he's Now, the only player who Ohio State has graded out as a champion for every game, that probably wouldn't be the case if Chase Young had played against Maryland, but because he wasn't, Devon Hamilton got his chance to shine, and, and he really took advantage of it. Played only 12 plays, but had two sacks in those 12 plays, so he's been really impressive all year. I think that was an opportunity for him to just show how important he is to the Buckeyes' defensive line. And then I thought at the linebacker level, Tuff Borland and Malik Harrison both had great games. They both had five tackles with one sack. Malik Harrison also had two pass breakups. Malik, such a great athlete at that linebacker position. I think he really showed that with breaking up some of those passes, showing his ability to make those plays in space. And Tuff Borland, a guy who takes a lot of heat from Ohio State fans, but I thought that was one of the better games of his career. I thought he really did a good job Baron Browning, he w- he was limited on Saturday. He only played one play, so Tough really got that entire first half at middle linebacker, and I thought he had a really good performance.
1: Yeah, you're not kidding. Both on the fact that it was one of his his better games, if not his best game of the year, and he is. If if we're if we're living in a season where there are so few critiques of Ohio State, I think maybe maybe the largest has been why is he playing ahead of baron browning um and i think it i think it's a i think it's i think it was a fair critique earlier in the season the problem is right now is uh, you don't really know what the status of baron browning is at the moment just based on the fact that it seems like he's been dealing with a little bit of an injury the fact that he played only one snap against maryland um but i do want to mention um once uh two other players on the defensive line i mean tyreek smith had two sacks zach harrison had a sack and just the way that i look at this this defensive front it, it is really interesting because ohio state hasn't dealt with um really any major significant injuries that have kept people that, that have really ended seasons yet at the same time there have been these nagging defensive end injuries that that, that seem like they they could be cause for concern and then you add on to the Chase Young suspension, all of a sudden, Ohio State's without Jonathan Cooper and Chase Young. And if you look at the roster, they don't have a single upperclassman defensive end. So I think that if you look at if Cooper stays out and if Young stays suspended, the hypothetical of Ohio State entering the Penn State and Michigan games with only freshmen and sophomores is a little bit daunting, yet at the same time, I was pretty impressed with what Tyreek Smith and, and Zach Harrison did, and I think it lends a lends a uh, lends something in what you can expect in, in, in the next year or two from them.
0: Yeah, you mentioned Zach Harrison making his first career start on Saturday, a sign of a trust that Larry Johnson has in him, because you've written about it before, Colin, that Larry Johnson typically tries to ease true freshmen into the lineup. Zach Harrison, the first true freshman to start on the defensive line for the Buckeyes since Joey Bosa. So that shows you how highly they think of Zach Harrison. Their options were limited in this game because Chase Young was out and so was Jonathan Cooper. But there are other guys, Tyler Friday, Javante Jean-Baptiste, who they could have called upon to start. They turned to Zach Harrison, the five-star freshman. And I think that's a sign of how he's come along in his first season Larry Johnson looking for that next man up. He's already turning to Zach Harrison to be that guy, and he's a guy that certainly has a lot of potential for these Buckeyes.
1: Yeah, he's a, he, he's a fun one to watch. I mean, because you hear about him throughout the throughout the off season. You hear like one of like one of the stories that I remember. Um, I, I don't remember exactly who told it. It was one of his fellow defensive ends. I think it might have been Tyler Friday who said, like he remembers watching him in practice, and Zach Harrison's chasing down a running back. Like, Zach Harrison has some – I'm not sure exactly what his 4-4 time is. I imagine it's faster than any other defensive end um, that Ohio State has on its roster right now. Like, that's the kind of athlete there is that, that he is. And and he's – like, Ohio State, just <laughs> – Joey Bosa, Nick Bosa, Chase Young. You just have to imagine Zach, Zach Harrison's probably the next in line right there. I mean, he's another five-star recruit. He's a top 15 overall prospect he's so so physically gifted, and if, if I'm being honest, I didn't really expect this in year one, I expected this in maybe year two, because he, he seemed like he had all these physical gifts, yet I wondered whether the technical stuff might, might, might need a little bit of time to, to advance. I mean, you hear Larry Johnson talk about his toolbox over and over and over again, and that means the, the, the moves, the, uh, the hand movements, the, the hand fighting, and, and, and you wonder whether that needs time, and I think it does need time. Like You, you talked to Zach Harrison after the game and, and he admits that, yet at the same time it shows you where he is in his development right now that they're actually willing to rely on him in this ta- this kind of situation and start him.
0: Speaking of five-star freshmen, Garrett Wilson had an impressive game on Saturday as well. Had four catches for 82 yards and a touchdown. Also had what would have been another touchdown catch from 46 yards out if not for a holding penalty on DeWan Jones. His biggest game yet He's really starting to show as well why he was such a highly-touted recruit and why the Buckeyes think he, he could be a star receiver for them.
1: Yeah, there's there's no doubt about that. He's – I mean, <laughs> he is special. He's special in the way that, that you watch him catch the ball, and, and he makes it look easy, and you also say, wow, at the same time. Um, he somehow – he gets open all the time. I I mean, he is, he is the future of this room. I'm – i I like. I like how it's. It's a little interesting how um, they've played him this year. Do you. Do you agree? I. I expected maybe a little bit more from him early on, and just the way that he's advanced. I wonder if at the end of the season, um, we're going to see his role continue to continue to increase.
0: Yeah, I think one of the questions we will get to later. Someone asked us, do we think Garrett Wilson is the second best receiver on the team? I'm not sure if I'm quite ready to go there yet, but I think it, he certainly could be by the end of this year. I think Chris Olave is the best wide receiver on the team. And I think Garrett is getting close. And I, I, I think we are seeing more and more glimpses from him every single week. And I think just in terms of pure talent, there's no question that he's a top two receiver on the team. You know, I think KJ Hill. Benjamin Victor probably guys that they still have a little more trust in right now and I think one thing that has stood out it stood out on Tuesday. It stood out after a game on Saturday as well. Talking to the coaches, is it's it's clear that they want to see more out of Garrett Wilson in practice because they've been challenging him to practice at an elite level because they know he's an elite talent. We can all see that he's an elite talent. The plays that he makes, there are certain plays that he can make that no other receiver on Ohio State's roster can make. That's just, that's just how gifted a player he is. But you can tell just from the coaches' comments about him that there's still some things they are not seeing on a day-to-day basis in practice. And I think that might be what's keeping him from playing an even bigger role than he already is.
1: Yeah, w- w- when you're listening to the coaches, and, and it's, something that, it's something that we've been hearing for a few months now. And it's, it's these little comments about, about how he needs to practice harder. I, I think you're right about um, in due time that, that it will come. And that, that I think that is what is I don't I don't even want to say necessarily holding him back because he just had four catches for eighty two yards and a touchdown. Right. He clearly had some sort of role in this offense. Yet at the same time, when 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 you ask is he the second best wide receiver on the team? To to in my eyes, I think he might be the most talented. Yet. I don't necessarily know how to how to define best in that situation because i think you're right you're right and i think the coaches are probably saying that they're not seeing what they necessarily need to see from him to to put him in that in that go-to wide receiver realm i i did think it was interesting on saturday that i mean the starters only played so much uh and chris olave had 10 targets in the first half Justin Fields had 25 passes and, and 10 of and, and 10 of them went Olave's way. And I know he only had 5 catches for 43 yards and a touchdown. Yet at the same time, I think that those 10 catches really show you what they think of him and and that I think you can sort of view him as as the number 1 receiver in this offense even though they probably won't come out and say that.
0: Yeah, I think Chris Olave is pretty clearly the number 1 receiver for Ohio State at this point. He yeah. has played more of the last couple of weeks than he would have because Austin Mack's been sidelined but even still I think even when Mac comes back I think Chris Olave is, is got to be the guy at that position and I think he's going to play more than Mac because I think that he has he has proven that he belongs out there on the field he has I think developed that level of comfort with Justin Fields to where he is becoming that guy that Fields is looking to more than anyone else so the good thing is much like, they, much like they had last year, they have a lot of options at the receiver position. The rotation's not quite as deep as it was last year, but they have Chris Olave, they have K.J. Hill, they have Benjamin Victor. And and I think for Garrett Wilson to establish himself as one of the best receivers on the team, we need to see him make a big play in a game situation where it really matters. Because so far, most of his big plays have come in the second half of blowout wins and that that's not his fault that's just kind of a way a lot of these games have gone but I think we need to see him make a big play against Penn State a big play against Michigan before I'm ready to say he's the second best receiver on the team like you said he might be the most talented on the receiver on the team I think he's well on his way to being a star for the Buckeyes but we still need to see it in more than just Third quarter action with a second team offense.
1: Yeah, and I think I think most people would be surprised at how much he's actually playing because he he has played a good bit. Um, it's just that early early in games the the targets really haven't come his way and 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 a manner that I might have expected. You want to talk playoff?
0: Well, I, I want to talk about before we move on to that. I want to talk about the quarterback who was throwing passes to Garrett oh. Wilson on Saturday. Which because, which one? Well. If you just let me would if you would just let me talk, I could get to it. Uh, Chris Chris Chuganov, I thought, was legitimately impressive on Saturday against Maryland. Completed eight of eleven passing attempts for a hundred free yards and a touchdown. I mean, his first touchdown pass to Garrett Wilson was a really impressive throw. It was a it was a perfect pass to the to the left rear corner of the end zone. That's not a throw that every quarterback can make. So for him to be able to come in and make that throw. We mentioned the 46-yard touchdown later. That was also an impressive throw. got hit really hard as he threw the ball and delivered a perfect deep ball to Garrett Wilson. It didn't count because of a penalty, but to see Chris Chuganov making those plays, to, to be completely honest, I didn't know if Chuganov could make those kind of plays going into this year, and I think that's a testament to the development that he's made under Ryan Day, under Mike Yurcich, that he's looking like a competent backup quarterback, which we honestly weren't sure that he would be. There's still a huge drop-off from Justin Fields to Chris Chuganov, but I was impressed by what I saw from him on Saturday, and I think he's gained confidence from his coaches and teammates to at least to a point where he has solidified himself as the number two quarterback on the team. Oh, he's definitely
1: the number two quarterback. Um, I think he – it is funny. I think that they might still be an or um, on, on the official depth chart with him and Gunnar Hoke as the backup, but but there is no competition. Um, it is, and it's even funnier that in the preseason they were trying to get us to actually believe that there's a competition to start between Gunnar Hoke and Justin Fields when it's pretty clear that Chris Chuganov is the number two quarterback. Um, but you're right. This is – in all honesty, I didn't I didn't expect him to to have any of those throws yet. Yet I will say the forty six yarder to Garrett Wilson that was called back was one of the better throws that any quarterback at Ohio State has had this season. I mean, you could make a case that it was the best throw that any quarterback has had at Ohio State this season. I didn't ever think I was going to say that um, about a Chris Chuganoff throw. Um, at the same time, <laughs> like as as complimentary as we want to be to him because he deserved it. Uh, if Justin Fields went out, uh, they're not winning the college football playoff, and it's just contingent on Justin Fields' health, and and I, that's the case with with uh, most starting quarterbacks. But it's bear it bears mentioning every time that, that you talk about it. Um, it. It would be fascinating if if it, if uh, some sort of Justin Fields injury happened, and and he had to face. Um, michigan or a penn state for extended time Um, he if if you had asked me a week ago i would have said that the Buckeyes guys would have been in really really big trouble Um, and i still think that they'd be in trouble yet at the same time uh he showed a little a little something extra that i did not expect Uh, he's a fifth year quarterback he's been around for a while and he admitted on tuesday that he didn't really come into ohio state in shape at all um it took him for it took him a little while um to, to to get where he wants to be, and, and all of a sudden he's playing probably more than he ever really expected.
0: As Colin mentioned, we talked to Chris Chuganov on Tuesday. It was the first time he had done interviews all season, and the thing I really respect about Chris Chuganov is he has no delusions about what he is on this team. He, he knows he's the second string quarterback. He knows Justin Fields is better than he is, and he's just... Happy to be along for Variety. He's happy to get the opportunity to go in and play play in some football games. And in some ways, that's exactly what you want in a backup quarterback in today's college football era where transfers happen so much. Because I think back to last year where every week Urban Meyer had to talk about Tate Martell just to try to keep him happy to try to keep him from the inevitable transfer that he would make anyway. Whereas this year, everybody knows Justin Fields is the guy. You don't necessarily have the depth behind him that you want, but you have a backup in Chris Chuganov who understands his place on the team. He he understands that Justin Fields is more talented than he is, but he has put in the work to improve, I think, certainly, Colin, you would attest that he looked better on Saturday than he ever did when he was playing at West Virginia. Significantly and, so. And and that's important because as we as we know, if anything happens to Justin Fields, he he better be ready to step up.
1: Yeah, I mean we can have a we can have a conversation in the off season of, of what you really want your quarterback room to look like. Um, I think you can make an argument of, of whether or not you would want a Chris Chuganov in there because at the, at the same time, uh, like we, can, we can talk about how m- much more impressed we were than we expected. Um, he's a fifth-year guy. He's been around the program. He has this experience, yet at the same time, he is also a quarterback who, I'd, I'd, if, if he were starting... I'm not sure I I don't think Ohio State could could win a game in the college football playoff and I and I think that if there was a freshman like if say Jack Miller was at Ohio State right now as a freshman um, even if it was a Tate Martell situation where you had every single week to to say his name and talk about his progress uh, I think that he would give you a better chance to win if you were in the game. Even if after the year or two, then maybe you maybe there's a better risk of him transferring. And that is definitely more of a conversation for the off season when we haven't talked about uh, the playoff and Chase Young yet. But Chase Young situation yet. But figured I would mention it
0: yeah no ab- absolutely absolutely uh we will we'll will be talking plenty about the future of ohio state's quarterback room in the off season. chris chuganov will not be a part of that but i, I think not. considering considering how dire the quarterback depth situation could have been this year it's important that chris chuganov has come along the way he has of course justin fields being the starting quarterback playing as well as he has they just want everything to keep smooth sailing there, but at least Chris Chuganoff has shown those strides of development. I could tell Collins dying to talk about the playoffs, so we're gonna we're gonna move on move on to that now. Ohio State falls to number two in the college football playoff rankings, despite winning by fifty nine points. The Buckeyes are the first team in the college football playoff era to drop from the number one spot in the rankings after winning one week earlier not really a surprise here we talked about it last week that we thought whoever won the LSU Alabama game was going to move up to number one I think that was kind of a way it was going to happen all along Ohio State wasn't going to get a ton of credit for its win over Maryland even as dominant as it was because Maryland is not a strong opponent LSU you look at their resume now they now they have wins over Alabama Florida Auburn You can argue ever Texas really should be considered a big win at this point, but they are ranked in the top 20. So LSU has the bigger wins on its resume. That's why LSU is ranked number one. Ohio State has, in my opinion, clearly been the most dominant team in the country, but I I think LSU just gets more credit than the Buckeyes right now because of the big games that they've won.
1: Yep. I don't think think people should have a real problem um, with LSU going – ascending ahead of ohio state i think i expected it you expected it it's listen if, if you beat what was the number three there Bama was three right
0: yes bama was number three
1: yeah if, if you beat what was the number three team in the country and you have the resume that lsu does i understand the dominance of ohio state yet at the same time lsu's case to move to number one is is perfectly fine in in my opinion and also the way that i look at it is Ohio State getting back to number one is in its hands. If it beats if it beats uh, Penn State and Michigan and then wins the Big Ten title, I just I, I see the path back to number one. I feel pretty pretty confident that, that they would get it. And you, it wouldn't. Ultimately, it wouldn't necessarily matter um, a, a gigantic bit depending on what the three and four teams are and it is unfortunate I I wish that we lived in a world where the number one team could actually pick which of the teams that it faces because ultimately it's going to be in the college football playoff committee's hands to decide and hey maybe maybe in Ohio State's eyes they'd rather face what would be the three team than the four team but but if they keep keep on winning I, I see the path back to number one just based on what they have left
0: yeah, I think it's certainly, certainly possible if they get back to number one because of the games if they have left. I, I don't necessarily think it's a lock, I, because I think it would probably help Ohio State if Georgia would lose to Auburn this week, because if Georgia stays in the top four and then LSU plays Georgia in the SEC Championship game, that's another chance right at the end of the year for LSU to propel back up into that number one spot, even if Ohio State moves mm-hmm. ahead of them at some point. So, I think it's going to be a debate all the way to the end. I think if both teams keep winning, there's going to be a debate all the way to the end, especially if Ohio State keeps winning in the dominant fashion that it has. Right now, they're a the clear top two. Clemson is the clear number three. Because of that, I would much rather be the number one seed than the number two seed right now because the number the number four seed is very much up for grabs at this point, and in my eyes, LSU, Ohio State, and Clemson are clearly the three best teams in college football right now. I, still, I, I We were asked to predict who we thought the top four would be last week. I said last week I thought LSU would beat Alabama, and I still thought Alabama would get in as that four seed. My guess on that hasn't changed. I still think if Alabama wins out and is one loss, they're probably going to get in the four-team field. So to say that you'd have a significant advantage playing Alabama – in the the playoff sounds kind of ridiculous with what Alabama's done over the past half decade, but I'm not quite as sold on Alabama right now as I am on the top three teams. I I think they have a great offense, but I think Alabama's defense is a far cry from what it usually is. And and I think Clemson... Truthfully, I, I think for Ohio State, I think the team that right now I would give the best odds of beating Ohio State would be Clemson because I think Ohio State and Clemson are the two most complete teams in terms of they're both excellent on offense and excellent on defense. I think LSU is excellent on offense, but I think their defense is a step back from where those two teams are. So to me, I think, I think, I think if I'm Ohio State, I think the team that would scare me the most is Clemson. Now, a lot of Ohio State fans want that game against Clemson anyway because they want that chance for revenge from what happened in the previous two games against Clemson. But I think just in terms of matchup, just in terms of what you're most likely to win, I, I think Clemson is the team that, in my eyes, would provide the toughest matchup to Ohio State.
1: Yep, I agree with that. Um, one more thing I wanted to mention is that if. Like, listen, we, we live in a world right now with the Ohio State where Ohio State doesn't win by fewer than three touchdowns. <laughs> like, say, like that is that is the world that Ohio State has lived in through its first nine games. And to, to break a little news, uh, they're going to win by more than three touchdowns again on Saturday. <laughs> so that will be 10 weeks in a row that they have won by at least 24 points. The way that I look at it is is this conversation is a little interesting in and, and who they might match up with. Uh, in in what would be the semifinal of the college football playoff and what seeding they get. But we also have to to wonder what would happen if they lost. Um, And if you just look at the one-loss teams, I'm not looking at at, at any of them that have a really um, impressive resume. I think that if Ohio State lost to either Penn State or or, uh, Michigan, which I think would probably be the... um, I I, I I can't I can't really predict the Big Ten title game because I don't know who they're going to face. If it happens to be men, Wisconsin, then I feel pretty confident um, that they would win. But um, if they happen to, to get upset by their Penn State or Michigan, I, I look at I look at the competition that they'd have to get in the playoff. And I, you 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 let me know what you think. But I'm not I'm not looking at it and wondering, man, if they lose, I don't know they're, how they're getting in. Because if you look at Georgia. Um, their loss is pretty, pretty freaking bad. Even though they're the number four team right now, uh, if you look at Alabama, their 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 resume, their strength of schedule isn't um, isn't exactly exemplary, which is why you're saying what you say about the Crimson Tide. And then I, I wonder about what what the committee will think of the Pac-12 champions and and Oregon or Utah most likely. And and that's it's it's obviously hard to compare them to an Ohio State team that hasn't lost by. Uh, that hasn't lost yet and, and has won every game by at least 24 points. But the way I look at it is Ohio State's in a really, really nice position right now, even after dropping one spot.
0: Yeah, I think Ohio State is still in a really good spot. Being number two, if you look at the first five years of the playoff rankings, only one team has ever been in the top two of the second playoff rankings and not made before team field. That was Mississippi State, who was number one. In and also
1: was Mississippi State.
0: Yeah, and lost twice after the second <laughs> ranking. So I think they're in a good spot. I think in terms of you know the games they could lose, I think they maybe have a little less leeway with Penn State now than they did a week ago because of Penn State's loss to Minnesota. Because I think if now a loss to Penn State at home would look a little worse than it would have a week ago. And... If that also keeps you out of a Big Ten championship game, I think that has a little. I think that's a little bit more dangerous now. I think uh, mm-hmm. what we talked about last week. I'd still agree that I think in terms of Ohio State's chances to make the playoff, a loss to Michigan would be better than a loss to Penn State because I Definitely. think if if they have a, if they have a top ten win over Penn State and a win over Big in a win in a Big Ten championship game over Minnesota or Wisconsin, that with a 12 and one record, I think would be enough to get them in. Obviously, they don't want to lose to Michigan, but I do think that I think in that scenario, I would guess that they would be in. I think at 11 and one with a loss to Penn State, I think they've got a shot, but I I, I, I don't I don't think it's as strong. I think there would be much more of a debate in that situation. So certainly they don't want to lose it all. They just want to keep winning out. And if they keep winning out, they're going to be in. They're going to be a top two seed, either one or two. But I agree. I think they're in a good spot. I think I think that Penn State game, though, is, that's the most important game. I think that's the most yep. important game because if you win that game, you clinch the Big Ten East. And then I think as long as you do that, and and you win one of those last two games, I think you're going to be in the field.
1: Yep, that makes sense to me. Um, And you also have to remember uh, that Ohio State being ranked number one last week, I I really did think that meant something. I think that meant something about how the committee viewed their dominance uh, early in the season, viewed their resume, and viewed what their strength of schedule was. And sure, I think LSU deserves the number one spot right now, but they just beat what was a top three team. And yeah, you jump, you jump from two to one if you beat the number three team in the country, in my mind.
0: Yeah, and I think the committee still thinks very highly of Ohio yep. State right now, too. Just based on what Rob Mullen said on Tuesday night, I think that they believe that both of those teams are really good. I think there's a gap between the top two and everyone else right now. And I think it really does just come down to the fact that LSU has bigger wins on its resume. So, Yes, Ohio State's still in the mix from a number one seed. They're still in a very good spot to make the college football playoff. We could argue all day about whether they should be number one or number two, but we're not going to do that because we still got we still got four more weeks to discuss this before the college football playoff actually begins. So let's talk for a few minutes about the Chase Young situation. Like we said, there's not a ton we can say right now because... We don't know exactly what's going to happen yet. We we do know that there could be a ruling at some point this week. That hasn't been confirmed, but a lot of people have reported that that's what's expected, a ruling at some point this week. So I don't want to get too much into speculating about how long he's going to be out. If he's out for Penn State, we'll certainly be discussing that next week. The good news is the Buckeyes certainly don't need him to beat Rutgers this week. He has been practicing with the team. Ryan Day said on Tuesday that the Buckeyes are preparing as if he'll be able to play. So it certainly seems like they expect him back at some point. You'll see some of the speculation about there. Is Chase Young just going to call it quits and go to the NFL? All indications are that's not going to happen. I think we're going to see him back on the field at some point this year. But at this second, we don't know yet when exactly that's going to be.
1: Is this when I apologize for writing an article about how everything was perfect this season?
0: Man, I forgot about that, but I'm glad you brought it up because we got to roast (laughs) Colin for this. Colin wrote an article two weeks ago during the bye week, and it was titled, Welcome to Easy Mode, and he wrote that Easy Mode doesn't last forever, but Ohio State has that switch flipped on right now, and we should have known but as soon as Colin decided to write about Ohio State being in easy mode that something bad was gonna to happen to them listen and I nailed
1: that I nailed that qualifier because let me you tell did. you it did not last forever
0: no you did you did nail that qualifier you did nail that qualifier <laughs> and it, I think that makes it worth mentioning that this is the first time really all year that Ryan Day had to face any real adversity because everything had just been smooth sailing at this point for him as a first year head coach and this is a situation that he's had to handle we'll see how long he has to continue handling it certainly they weren't in any jeopardy of losing to Maryland even without Chase Young but still to be able to get through that for the Buckeyes to still come out and play as well as they did. And it certainly seemed like they had a little bit of extra juice that they had a chip on their shoulder going into that game, even without their best defensive player. That says something about just the ability that Day and this coaching staff has shown to just keep the Buckeyes focused and to just keep them rolling no matter what happens.
1: Yeah, it's. I mean, this is a team where they just lost the best college football player in the country and then they were still 43.5-point favorites to Maryland and then dropped 73 on them. Yeah. <laughs> like, this, that, that's what this team is. This team is good enough that we're talking about Chase Young and his suspension in the third segment of this show rather than the first one because this team is going to be okay this week without Chase Young, and even if they played against Penn State and Michigan, they would still be favored without the best college football player in the country. Welcome, welcome to the 2019 Ohio State team. It's really good.
0: Yeah, and, and again, a statement of how much this defense has improved because yeah. last year last year they could certainly ill afford to lose Chase Young. They weren't very good with him, and he was already one of the best defensive players in the country. So this year, as well as they're playing at all three levels of the defense, they certainly want to have Chase Young out there, but they can withstand him not being out there i think probably you know the biggest hit so far is just in terms of all the heisman trophy talk that had been going on for a couple weeks until this news came out Uh, that's very unlikely at this point honestly I i think it would be anyway because i think joe burrow has emerged as the clear front runner for the heisman right now and i think for a pure defensive player like chase young to win the heisman there were two things that were probably going to need to happen. One is things were going to have to go pretty much perfectly down the stretch in order to continue building upon that momentum. And secondly, I think... He needed there to not be a clear front runner at quarterback. He needed there to not be a quarterback who was having a historic season in terms of how efficient he's been, in terms of his completion percentage, in terms of leading his team to a huge win of a number one ranking in the country. So the trophy is absolutely Burrows to lose at this point. And even if Chase comes back against Penn State and Michigan, I think he's gonna have to absolutely go off to really have a chance at at getting that Heisman Trophy.
1: Yeah, I, I would put the chance of the Heisman at like .01%. I I, would, I personally I've just ruled it out. I mean, what the Heisman Trophy is, you're fighting perception battle as a defensive end in the first place, and he actually sort of started to make progress in that in that perception battle, and then he got suspended and I don't think that's something that I think that might be something that a, that a quarterback could overcome I just think that's completely impossible for a defensive end to overcome
0: now because of that there's naturally a lot of conversations out there about who had incentive to bring up this violation according to a report by the Columbus Dispatch Ohio State was made aware of Young's possible NCAA violation the day after the Wisconsin game so That naturally gets everybody thinking about who has a vendetta against Chase, who's trying to take him down. There's been lots of speculation about that. I don't want to get into that because most of the speculation is probably unfounded. It'd be reckless for us to add to that speculation. I will say this. I'm 99.99% sure that Keandre Jones did not snitch on Chase Young because of video that came out after the game where... A player made a joke that keandre jones was the snitch i can promise you that if ohio state fought keandre jones had quote unquote snitched on chase young that 50 ohio state players would not be going out to the middle of a field to hug him after a game
1: that was uh, an unbelievable conspiracy theory and it i i, I should apologize because it was my video <laughs> <laughs> it was my video that, you know what, I was taking the video because there were like 50 Ohio State players surrounding Keandre Jones, taking photos with him, um, calling him their brother. Uh, I, it, I thought I, I thought it was really cool. It was something that you don't really see all the time, um, and it tells you how much they love Keandre Jones. And then I think at one point in the video, a player who I think most people imagine uh, thought it was Baron Browning, said you a snitch <laughs> and what some people did is they ran with it and said wow keandre jones turned in chase young
0: yeah and uh, and
1: yeah, that based on based on context clues folks um not going to go with that one
0: yeah and there's been a lot of this i know there's a speculation this week that it might have been Elijah Brooks, who is running backs coach at Maryland and was previously Chase Young's head coach at DeMafflic Catholic High School. All, all kinds of speculation about, you know, would, would someone on Maryland's staff have known something and done this? I would say this. If Maryland had reason to try to take Chase Young down because they thought it might swing the game in their favor, that would have been pretty foolish. So I can't say with certainty that it didn't happen, but I also think that the the rationale they would have had for doing that would have been pretty flawed because, as we saw, his absence did not make a difference in the game. And I think that Maryland's coaching staff was probably smart enough to know that his absence wasn't going to make a difference in the game. So that's really where we have to leave that. I I, I have no idea who turned Chase Young into Ohio State or the NCAA. We might never know about that. I understand why everyone asks questions about it and why there's a lot of theories about it. But... Here's the reality at the end of the day. If Chase Young committed an NCAA violation and he got caught doing it, he has to face the consequences. We don't have to agree with the rules. That's another conversation for the offseason that we don't have time to get into today. But the reality is those are the rules. He has to follow them. What he said is that he took a loan from a family friend that he had known, since the summer before his freshman year at Ohio State. Based on NCAA rules, that would seemingly be an NCAA violation because his relationship with that person, we don't know exactly who it was, but his relationship with that person was established after he had been recruited to commit to Ohio State. So we don't know exactly you know, who that was that provided the, the loan to him. It has been reported that the loan was so that he could fly his girlfriend out to the Rose Bowl and that he repaid that loan. So, certainly, we're not talking about high crime here. But, if it is by the letter of the NCA law a violation, then he has to face the consequences for that. He has to face the punishment for that. And I know there's some people out there who thought... Ohio State should have just played Chase Young anyway. Part of that because of what Memphis is currently doing with James Wiseman. The news came out on the same day that he had been ruled ineligible by the NCAA, and Memphis decided, no, we're just going to play him anyway and, and see what happens. But here's the, here's the problem with that. If the Buckeyes knowingly played an ineligible player... This whole season could be vacated. They could face program-wide sanctions. Ohio State has been down that road before. I don't think they want to go down that road again. So people need to look at the long view there. I know there's people who think that Ohio State plays too nice with the NCAA, but that's what they want. They, they don't want to be seen as a program that is breaking the rules, is not in, complying with NCAA rules. They want to have a good reputation with the NCAA. I think most reasonable people would agree that that's a good thing, to to try to be in the NCAA's good graces. And the other reality here is is that a lot of these violations get self reported by the NCAA, and a lot of times people don't know about them. Colin, I know that you've looked at, I know that you've requested a public records for self-reported violations over the years. And a lot of times, somebody will be ruled ineligible for 24 hours and then they're eligible again because the situation gets rectified. In this case, I think we're talking about something a little bit bigger here where it wasn't something they could just immediately rectify. It's something where they had to go to the NCAA and the NCAA had to make a ruling on his eligibility. And at this moment, we're still waiting for that ruling. But the reality is, Ohio State did what it was supposed to do in this situation seemingly Chase Young has been forthright about the mistake he's made and he's trying to get it right and I think that's to their credit I think ultimately that's what they should be doing and now they just have to hope that they're going to get Chase Young back for these big games at the end of the year
1: yeah if, if uh, by complying by with the NCAA rules, if you just sit him out against Maryland and Rutgers, maybe only won by one hundred twenty collective points rather than one hundred twenty five. <laughs> like it, it act, like I, I, do think there is there there was a good little swath of folks who were wondering why Ohio State was was sitting him in the first place. If it's just a potential NCAA violation, but I don't know. I I think if you are sitting him those two games, it, it's gonna be okay.
0: Yeah, and I don't think they'd be sitting him if they didn't think that there was probable cause that it was an NCAA violation. You know, I don't think they're being overprotective here in terms of he, he, you know, I think they expect some kind of punishment from the NCAA. I think their hope is that the NCAA will come back to them and say, him sitting out this one game is punishment enough. He's eligible to play right away well and and when you're
1: dealing with the NCAA you just there's there's part of you too that just I think you just never know
0: no you don't and that's very true you know we've tried to look on the website we've tried to look at recent cases and the NCAA guidelines and tried to kind of show some of a precedent that could determine how long he will be suspended but if, if the NCAA is anything but consistent whether it's determining eligibility waivers or punishments they're all over the map sometimes so it's hard to predict exactly what they're gonna do hopefully there will be a resolution this week and then regardless of what it is we can we can move on and we don't have to spend uh, the rest of the season talking about this but it is just one of those things that Ohio State has to deal with as as we move into talking about this upcoming game against Rutgers though it's not going to matter. However, Jace Young can play this week. It's not going to matter. Ohio State opened as a 50.5 point favorite for this week's game. The line has moved as high as 54. As of Wednesday morning, it was around 52 to 53 at most sportsbooks. That's a virtually unprecedented line for a conference game. I know some people have done research and it's the biggest line for any Ohio State game, even non-conference games against small FBS teams and FCS teams. It's it's one of the biggest lines in Ohio State history. And yet, somehow, it still feels too low of how bad Rutgers has been this year.
1: Yeah, I looked at that line, and I was wondering how in the world anyone would pick Rutgers. <laughs> now, that, that said, I think the safest bet in history is uh the, the 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 total line is that still at 54 because it opened around like 54
0: i think it's moved up since then as of yesterday it was around 60 i believe all right so that's a little right now more it's reasonable. right now it's at 61 and a half
1: well see this is way more reasonable because if you jumped on that 55 i think it was over under uh for the for the total points in Saturday's game I'm not seeing a scenario in which the under would hit and to be honest if I'm looking at 61 I'm still taking the over there because the in my imagination uh well Maryland just Maryland clocked Rutgers earlier this year beat them 38 to 10 and Ohio State just dropped 73 on Maryland and I don't imagine that uh, Rutgers has since figured out some sort of game plan to just uh throttle the buckeyes that that uh that would that would surprise me just just a tad um i am imagining some sort of 78 to nothing
0: beat down <laughs> and yeah i, don't I know saw why
1: this this is this is this is such a terrible football game
0: yeah i saw bill Connolly and his predictions for this week that he uses his S&P formula, that he only had this game at 49 to 3. And that really surprised me because I think it's going to be significantly more lopsided than that. I think Ohio State is going to cover. Uh, you know, maybe you can factor into a prediction that Ohio State might not keep its starters in the game very long. But even just looking back to what Ohio State did this past week, Ryan Day has indicated that. The Buckeyes are going to play aggressively for a half, no matter who they play against. So I think they could cover by halftime, to be honest. I think that's how bad this Rutgers team is. And it sounds crazy to say, but this Rutgers team is ranked 138th in the Sagarin ratings. That means they're behind 20 FCS teams. They're by far the worst Power 5 team. They've been terrible on both sides of the ball this year. I think even when the backups are in the game for the Buckeyes, and I think this goes into one of the questions we were asked too, I think even when the backups are in the game for the Buckeyes, they're going to be able to continue adding to their lead, kind of like we saw this past week against Maryland because Rutgers is just not a good football team. And, and I, I don't really like to pile on, but this is just one of those games that there's just no reason it should be competitive ryan day said on tuesday quote if we're going to take anything for granted we're going to show up in piscataway and win a game that's not going to happen i'm buddy, pretty sure it's going to happen
1: but it's going to happen
0: <laughs> as long as, as, as you I, I get off just the be bus
1: sh- this is they're going to win by 45 to to 75
0: Yeah. uh, Ryan Day has done an excellent job of keeping this team focused and making sure that they don't take anything for granted and prepare for every game the same way. But this is a Rutgers team that's lost all of its Big Ten games by at least 28 points. Its only wins this year are against UMass and Liberty, which are also bad teams. So... There's no reason this game should be close. I think even if the Buckeyes sleepwalk in this game, it's still not going to be close. Uh, Ohio State's never had a close game with Rutgers. Ever since Rutgers joined the Big Ten, every single game has been lopsided. And I think as well as Ohio State's playing this year and as poorly as Rutgers is playing this year, I think this could be the most lopsided game yet.
1: Yep, I agree with that. I think my official pick will be 78 to nothing. And I feel like I might be undershooting it.
0: I'm going 77 to nothing, so Oof, that, that shows. We're right, right that sh- there. That shows that shows how much respect we have for Rutgers. But I think just about everybody's on the same page in in predicting this game because Rutgers just hasn't shown any signs of life, and Ohio State hasn't shown any signs of slowing down. So if Saturday's game is anything but a blowout, I'll be surprised. And much tougher competition coming up the next two weeks against Penn State and Michigan, but this this one should be a pretty easy one. Before we get into your questions, talk real quick about Ohio State basketball starting their season this past week, started the year with a 64-56 to win over Cincinnati and a 76-56 to win over UMass Lowell. Colin, you were at both of those games. Just what were your biggest takeaways from what you saw from a basketball Buckeyes in the first two games?
1: Yep, I was I was, I was pretty impressed by them. Um, I think I was I was a little bit more impressed than I thought. Um, specifically, Caleb Wesson and DJ Carton I think are going to be pretty special this year. Uh, Caleb Wesson has taken the strides that that you'd imagine him to take, and I think I think honestly, listen, we talked a lot about uh, we talked a lot about uh, his thirty five pounds of uh, of weight that he lost in the offseason, yet. I think maybe the biggest difference to his game will be how how much he shoots three pointers. I I have a sneaky suspicion that he's going to end the year uh, with the best three point shooting percentage on the team, other than maybe Justin Arns, But I, but I also think he'll take way more threes than Justin Arns. Um I'm I I I don't have the stats pulled up right in front of me, but I believe Caleb shot either I, I think he shot fewer than one three per game last year. If not, it was it was right around that um, and. This year, I imagine it will be somewhere between two and four threes a game. Like I think that he's gonna he's gonna thrive on, on the outside, and and we saw that a little bit, uh, especially in the second half of, of the Cincinnati game, where they were where they were running the offense through him, um, at at the top of the key, and the, he he has this little nice chemistry on offense with DJ Carton that I think I think they can build on, um, and this is a team that unlike last year. Uh, Last year they started off the year, I believe it was 12-1, and 1, but at the same time, I think you sort of got an idea that they were sort of playing as well as they could. There wasn't this huge ceiling that they were going to hit. This year, I think that it is pretty early in a developmental path that they can be something pretty pretty nice down the stretch because you have um, Caleb Wesson, who I think is really good right now. I think DJ is just scratching the surface, and I think that's the case with um, EJ too, EJ Liddell. I think those two are, are going to um, have real nice in-season development. Um, I think as they get more comfortable and more acquainted with the, with the college basketball speed, I think Alonzo Gaffney is going to na- maybe need a little bit more time. But at the same time, he just had 10-8 and 8 the other day against UMass Lowell. So you see the natural talent that he has. And then I think they have a good bit of role players who I think are just really solid. I mean, if you look at Andre Weston, he's out right now, but he really defines that to me. Kyle Young has seemed to make some sort of offensive stride um, in his game. Uh, CJ Walker, I think he's been okay right now. I think that he he needs to <laughs> tone down the turnovers, maybe maybe play a little bit more under control than he, than he has and and uh, the first two games of the year. And and he knows that and Chris Holman knows that as well. Um, and I think Dwayne Washington and, and Luther have looked pretty solid and consistent at the moment. I would I would like maybe uh, I think Ohio State fans should should want. Dwayne to to have some sort of bigger piece of piece of the offensive pie and and be an outside shooter that I think Ohio State maybe doesn't have, doesn't have any real knockdown three-point shooters at the moment who you, you look to who's going to be counted on for two or three a game. I think maybe he can be that guy, and I wonder if Luther can too. But they've both played maybe more consistent under control, and I think that, that that's been positive. So, like, overall, I think this team has looked pretty solid right now. It's really early, and uh, they're, by the time you listen to this, it might be after the Villanova game, in which case they'll have already been tested pretty good. And admit, I'm really interested to see that game.
0: Yeah, big game coming up against Villanova on Wednesday night, 7 p.m. on FS1. Villanova ranked 10th in the country. Ohio State actually favored by three points at home, a little bit surprised by that. I think the one thing that stood out to me from the first two games that was problematic for the Buckeyes was slow starts offensively and struggles at the free throw line. What do you make of that, Colin? Are those things to be concerned about, or just some early season jitters?
1: Um, I, I don't know that after two games I can make the call on the free throws. I think that's something that you're just going to need a bigger sample size of. Yet at the same time, they were they were they were pretty abysmal at that. Um, the slow starts—it's um, again—I I just want to see a bigger sample size on that. I, I wouldn't call that a that a significant issue quite yet. I do think that. Um, I mean, in in the last game against UMass Lowell, it wouldn't have been really much of a slow start if they had actually been able to make free throws. Uh, That that, that slow start wouldn't have looked as bad as it did. I think it ended up being three and a half minutes without a point, but it wouldn't have been three and a half if they could make a free throw. Um, So so it does come back to the free throws. Those aren't the two. I I wouldn't have too many worries about that um, at the moment
0: uh, with this team. All right, let's get into your reader questions. The first question this week came to us on Twitter from Bryant Schaefer, and he asked us, could the second team beat Rutgers if Ohio State played them from the start? And he gave us some ground rules. Chris Chuganov would start at quarterback. Tyreek Smith, Robert Landers, Haskell Garrett, and Zach Harrison would start on the defensive line. He considers the starting receivers to be Benjamin Victor, K.J. Hill, and Austin Mack, so that means you'd have Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson as wide receivers. Starting offensive line of Nicholas petit Frere, Matthew Jones, Harry Miller, Gavin Cup, and Joshua Allaby, and Baron Browning at middle linebacker, Josh Proctor at safety would count as second-teamers as well. So short answer would be yes. Do they, do they? My only question is: Do they cover <laughs> this team? Yeah. Say yes, and I and I don't even think it would be close. Now, yes. I think honestly, that description of second team is a little generous. If we if if we took out the guys like Chris Olave and Baron Browning and and Robert Landers, guys who. I consider more to be co-starters than backups because they rotate in a lot. If we were just talking about, say, the guys who played in the second half uh, against Maryland, guys who are not starters that are considered to be backups, then I think it's a, it's a, it's a somewhat closer game. I, I think without any of the players who are considered to be starting caliber for the Buckeyes right now, I still think Ohio State would win, but I think then it would be a more competitive game. But guys like Chris Olave and Zach Harrison out there, I think those guys are better players than just about anybody Rutgers has. So yeah, I I think the second team could absolutely beat Rutgers, and I think we're probably going to see that in the second half of Saturday's game.
1: Yeah, like you said, it's pretty generous to give to give them all those co-starters and if even if you took them off though, now your the real question is would Ohio State's freshman and sophomore four and five star prospects beat Rutgers entire team and I would say yes. <laughs> I would say oh, yeah. yes with ease. <laughs> I mean that's I, just a that's just a way more talented team.
0: And that says more about Rutgers than it does about yes, Ohio does. State cuz we talked about this last week in terms of where the second team, Ohio State, would factor into the Big Ten, and I think we both agreed that they'd beat a few teams. Probably, you know, they'd they'd be middle of the pack at best. I think in the Big Ten, but Rutgers is firmly at the bottom of the pack in the Big Ten right now. We saw that Ohio State's second team was better than Maryland's first team last week, and I think they would definitely be better than Rutgers's first team. South Carolina Buckeye asked. At what point in the first quarter did you have 90% of your game report written referring to this last about, week's game?
1: I was wondering if he was going to ask about Rutgers because, I mean, you could yeah. probably do 90% <laughs> of that one right now.
0: Yeah, no, yeah, no. he I think he was referring to last week. Uh, truthfully, I don't do that. I, I, I work on my game story over the course of a game, regardless of how the game is going. I know a lot of people joke about that, of I had my story done at halftime. That's not the way that I do it. Uh, everybody can do it the way they want to do it for me, I always kind of have a running game story going, whether the game is really close, or it's a blowout, so kind of, you know, you kind of just see how a game plays out, and you know I I don't know that I've ever had one done, you know, before the game was over, at least not in terms of not adding something, or you know, I you know, I always try to you know, and I'm writing a game story, I'm always trying to reflect everything that happens in the game, but certainly this year's been pretty easy in terms of writing game recaps because it's, it's always a lot more difficult to write an instant recap of a game when it comes down to a wire, like last year's game at Maryland where you didn't even know who was going to win the game until the last play of a game. Whereas this year, every game has been decided well before it's been over. So that has made it a lot easier from my perspective and from anybody who has to write a game story in terms of being able to get it done. uh, Not done, but at least being able to kind of know where the game is going earlier on. Uh, That does make the job easier. Probably makes it less interesting for you fans at home. But for somebody who's covering the game, it it definitely does make it harder. Truth.
1: Um, Next question, Silver Sniper, uh, Dan, great call on the LSU over Bama prediction. uh, The implication being Colin, bad call on the Bama over LSU prediction. (laughs) Um, With it uh, being a close game, Bama being the fourth team, looks very possible. Well, turns out they're fifth. Uh, The question is, with this being Rutgers week, could you each provide fact-based evidence to why GIF is pronounced GIF and not incorrectly? Although that was me reading it. Because yeah. his actual question was hard G or soft G.
0: Yeah, I don't have fact-based evidence. I just like saying GIF. If I'm being completely honest, uh, I can't say that I've given that a whole lot of thought. My uh, fact-based I've
1: evidence just, is I just read I just read the question and said great and game and GIF is just G I F. Like it's it's the same thing. Or this isn't this isn't peanut butter here.
0: Yeah, yeah. I like GIF. He likes GIF. It's it's that's another off-season topic of conversation uh it's ruckers week but we also had a lot of other stuff to talk about today so uh maybe we'll get back to that one in the off season um i think i think the commenters tend to side with colin on this one but it should be gif but i'm gonna stick with Jeff for now silver sniper also asked us a more serious question he asked call your shot Does Master Teague cross the 1,000-yard rushing mark? Does K.J. Hill break the OSU reception record? The Master Teague one is really interesting because it sounds crazy to think that a running back who's basically a second-teamer, who who basically has just been playing, for the most part, after games are already decided, could hit 1,000 yards, but... It's a possibility. He's he's at six hundred ninety nine rushing yards for the season right now. Buckeyes could have as many as six games left. I would say no because I think games down the stretch are going to be more competitive, and I don't think he's going to play as much in those games. He'll he'll get he'll get some yards this week if he can if he can really rack up a lot of yards against Rutgers this week. He'll have a chance. I don't know how much he's going to play the rest of the way based on those games potentially being more competitive, but right now he's on pace. It's certainly possible that it could happen, and it would be one of the more unusual thousand yard rushing seasons you're ever going to see because it's not like the past two years where J.K. Dobbins and Mike Weber were truly spending time. J.K. Dobbins has been playing most of a meaningful game reps. It's just fatigue has had so much opportunity to come in and play as the second running back, and he's done so well with those reps that he's actually got a shot.
1: I he, so right now he's at 699 yards. Um, he just had 111 yards against Maryland. I think he can have another like 111, somewhere between 100 and 150 yards against Rutgers. <laughs> His problem, like legitimately, is that. Uh, at some point Marcus Crowley's going to come in and he can't continue his uh, whatever it'll be eight yards per carry anymore um, and that'll limit him but I imagine he'll probably exit um, he'll probably exit the Rutgers game with around 800 yards I would put him with around a 100 yard game against Rutgers I think that's I think that's entirely reasonable for him he's actually had four games where he's had at least 90 yards rushing which is pretty amazing for someone who in some games is is barely played in the first half um so I'm gonna just make the call I I think he I think he does um I think that he'll either end he'll he'll end somewhere between 800 and 850 yards um after the Rutgers game and then he hasn't had fewer than 30 yards um in any game and at the same time Ohio State has blown out every single opponent so it's really difficult to maybe uh uh Give a uh, give an idea of what what his role would be if they were playing a one touchdown game in the fourth quarter. Yet at the same time, um, I think that J.K. is going to need some breathers. I think that he can get somewhere between twenty five and forty yards, even a, even in a competitive game, even just spelling J.K. Uh, J.K. a few times. So I think he just I think he just crosses it, and it would be helpful if he could play uh, two ball games. But but I'm gonna I'm gonna predict that he actually does get it
0: yeah I think you've convinced me there. I think you've convinced me there. I think he he definitely has a shot, especially if he has a big game against Rutgers this week. He's really remarkable. Like, it is he's it's he's amazing. six. He's sixth in the big ten right now in rushing yards JK Dobbins being second. So uh, quite a season that he has had I mean you, if you think back to last year, Mike Weber had 954 as the second running back, and he was a co-starter at a position really where Teague is a backup. So Teague could outperform Mike Weber last year, all the while still really being a number two back. So he, he looked great. He, he's he's performed really well with a reps he's gotten, and he's got a chance to have a big year, even though he is effectively a backup. K.J. Hill, question about whether he will break OSUs receptions record I I think he probably will. He's at 34 right now. I think I I don't remember the number off the top of my I think head. It's, if it's 47. 40, 47 that he needs. So, he's still got as many as 6 games left to play, needs 13. That's just over 2 catches a game. So, I think he will get there. He had 4 of his past week, so I think that got him back on track. I, I think he will most likely get there and break David Boston's career receptions record. Yep, I'd be surprised if he didn't. Daniel asked us about how Ryan Day, he called him a cold stone assassin in terms of the aggressiveness that he's shown, the onside kick this past week against Maryland, calling timeouts at the end of the first half to have a chance to block a punt. So his question is, if Day was the head coach last year, would he have tried to score at the end of a Michigan game where he were on the five-yard line and then go for two for 70 points. Well, first of all, to be honest with you, I cannot say that I remember that sequence at the end of a Michigan game, to be completely honest, because that was almost a year ago, and Ohio State already had the game in the bag at that point. But I would say that based on his comments after the game on Saturday, I would say no, because what he indicated was that he wants the Buckeyes to be aggressive before halftime. We're, we're going to play aggressive before halftime, so... He Even if it's a lopsided game, they're going to take chances in the first half. They, they're they're going to try to build as big of a lead as possible going into the second half, knowing that there's half the game left. But when he was asked about whether he was trying to run up the score or whether that was anything personal against Maryland, he firmly denied that, said that's not something that he would try to do in any circumstance. So I don't think at the end of a game where the team is winning by 23 that he'd be... He'd be trying to pour it on in the final seconds, just just for the sake of doing it. Uh, I think it's only if it's you know early enough in the game where he feels like there's some reason that they should be doing that. So that would be that would be my take. I'm not sure what Collins is.
1: No, I, I agree with that. I think that he would be super aggressive at the end of the first half, and and I do think it's a little different at the end of at the end of the game. That said. Uh, we've never seen him in a Michigan game scenario, so it's it's actually a little. It's he he hasn't talked about it much in the past couple of months. I am a little interested to see once Michigan week gets here, or even maybe a week before, uh, what what he what sort of his mindset is, and what what he's um, what he's saying
0: publicly. Bartholomew asks, "Who is Rutgers named after, and what is his story?" According to a Google search I just did ten seconds ago, it's named after Henry Rutgers, who is a United States Re- Revolutionary War Hero and Philanthropist from New York City. That's about mm-hmm. all I've got about, on that one. Yeah, that's story, about all Story I've got.
1: time. Story time. Until I was 18 <laughs> years old, I thought that Rutgers was pronounced R-U-G-T <laughs> rather than R-U-T-G. I don't know why, but I remember vividly where I was when someone told me I was pronouncing it wrong. I was mind blown.
0: It is Rutgers, named after Henry Rutgers, and it is the official state university of New Jersey.
1: And it is, Hovenot, not a, it is not a great name.
0: Hovenot asks who to look for, as in coming off the bench on Saturday. Well, one thing to remember about this game that makes it a little different than the Maryland game is that Ohio State can only travel 74 people to Rutgers. So that limits who all they're able to play. Because if this was a home game against Rutgers, there's a chance they'd play 100 guys. I think they'd play everybody on their bench, including all the walk-ons. But because this is a road game and they're limited to a 74-man travel roster, that's going to limit who they're able to play. So they're not going to get all the way to the bottom of the depth chart in this game. But I would say that I think probably every player on that travel roster who is healthy will play unless it's somebody that they're bringing only for an emergency purpose that they want to redshirt. Even still, I, I think those guys could still play because there's guys like Cade Stover and Steel Chambers right now. They're at three games. You look at this game against Rutgers. This really should be the last game of the year where things get so out of hand that they're playing everybody so this could be an opportunity where maybe they say okay we'll play those guys for their fourth game get them get them in there give them that opportunity to play and then we'll see what happens from there they could also decide we want to hold off just in case we need them in a game where we actually need them but I I think just about everybody on the travel roster will play unless they're nursing an injury you would think that there could be a few guys who make the trip this week that maybe have minor injuries and maybe they hold them out and then as long as things go the way they're supposed to go they don't play because it is Rutgers and they have bigger games coming up but otherwise I think you'll see just about everybody who makes the trip play and certainly some extended duty from the backups in the second half.
1: And among those I'm looking for, um, It's just, the thing is, is in maybe a Rutgers game last year, you look at it and you think, hmm, I, uh, I, wonder, I wonder if we're going to see this guy who we haven't seen much of. But considering every game has been a blowout, we've seen just about everybody. So I'll be honest, I'm just really looking at Master Teague and seeing how many yards he can rack up.
0: A couple of these questions that we already talked about, so just going to kind of go through those. Carolina Buck asked, is Garrett Wilson the second best receiver on the team? We talked to about that before. He certainly could be, maybe not quite yet. We still need to see what he does in bigger games. Chipperson1 asked, do we think Maryland really leaked the chase info? If not, any idea why the announcers brought it up during the game? Do you think they had heard things, or were they just trying to find things to talk about during a blowout? Like I said before, don't know if, if Maryland was involved in... The Chase Young situation, don't really want to speculate on that. I do think that what Gus Johnson and Joel Klatt said about that was a little bit reckless if they didn't have solid information to suggest that that was happening. And I, I would imagine, based on the way Ryan Day responded when he asked, asked about that after a game, that he probably wasn't too happy, that they insinuated that there was something personal about calling the timeouts at the end of the first half and that there was a reason for that. That's not really something that if you're a commentator or you're a media member that you should be insinuating unless you've got solid information on it. So uh, I will say I I know we're both Gus Johnson fans here, especially Colin. I will say listening back to that game, that is probably the most bored I have ever heard Gus Johnson calling a game.
1: Yeah, it was the most bored Colin Hossel has ever been in a press box. Yeah, that's, it, that's it, wasn't, it That's not true. 2016 Maryland, I still vividly remember that. Oh, man. What a
0: game. It, 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 was, it was not a great game. Uh, I think I saw someone say this. I would agree. I think Gus and Joel are probably glad they're not calling the Rutgers game this week. I think they're, they're looking forward to a break from an Ohio State blowout, and then they will hope for a more competitive game when they return to Ohio Stadium for the Penn State game in two weeks from now. OSU Bias asked, given how well the season has gone, would our our system glitch game, he called it, where Ohio State loses, surprise you more than any other Buckeye team ever? He brought up 1998 and 1969. I can tell you that both Colin and I are too young to have any memories of a 1969 team or or really even a 1998 team. So that's hard for me to say. It's hard for me to say.
1: I was three I years can old, really and negative thirty-six years old.
0: Yeah, I can really only speak on the last uh, the last decade of Ohio State football. And I would say that I think it would definitely surprise me more in terms of if we're talking about games like Iowa and Purdue from the last couple years, that ship has kind of sailed at this point because it's not gonna happen against Rutgers. And then after that, Ohio State is going to play ranked games for the rest of the year. So that ship is kind of sailed. And any any loss now wouldn't necessarily be a quote unquote system glitch game. It would be just losing to you know, a good team. Losing to a good team, yeah. So uh, that ship is kind of sailed. I think they proved that there was no system glitch game by the way they played over the last two months. But but yeah, it would. It would surprise me if it happened, and I will say, I will say, Colin, I, I think you meant negative twenty six years and not negative thirty six, because if not, you would be fourteen <laughs> years old right now, and that thank would you. that would be that would be news to me.
1: Thank you, thank you for doing the math. <laughs> I appreciate it.
0: Yeah, that would be news to me if Colin was fourteen years old. All news long. to me too. <laughs> Kay Bonet asked us about the timeline for Austin Mack and Jonathan Cooper to return to the lineup. Will they be back for Penn State? We don't get much information on injuries, so we don't know, but my guess would be they won't play against Rutgers this week. I would think that anybody who's nursing an injury, Ohio State would probably try to keep them out against Rutgers this week. We did see Austin Mack warming up prior to the last game, so that would tell me that, He's close to coming back. I I think he probably even could have played against Maryland if they needed him, but they probably just decided to hold him out because they didn't need him. But I would think that he's close. I would expect him back for Penn State as long as there's no fervor server setbacks. Jonathan Cooper, it, it seems like some sort of setback has happened there because he was back on the field for a few games. He was a game-time decision a previous game against Wisconsin and then he was just out this past week did not even warm up for the game against Maryland so it would seem there's been some sort of setback there hopefully for his sake being a senior it, it's not something that will take him out for the rest of the season but I wouldn't expect to see him against Rutgers we're just going to have to wait and see on terms of a Penn State game yep I agree with that LWOH asked about Chase Young, if he if he gets a four-game suspension, the way the defense shut down Maryland in the first half, do you think the same bunch of guys could do that against Penn State and Michigan? Well, I don't know if they could shut them down, because I think those are better teams, but I do think, like we talked about before, this defense is clearly improved from last year, and I don't think they're reliant on just one player, even just one player as good as Chase Young. So, I I think they would certainly benefit from having Chase Young in those games, and I think not having Chase Young could certainly hurt them more in those games than it would against Maryland, but I don't think it would be a killer. I I don't think Ohio State's going to suddenly give up 45 points to Penn State because they don't have Chase Young. I think it would hurt them more in that game but I think they're talented enough and playing such good team football that they could survive.
1: Yeah, I, I think they could still play really well against those teams without Chase Young. I mean, you're not not having the best fo- not having the best college football player. Wow, I can't talk anymore. This is this is too long apparently for me. Um not having the best college football player is typically bad, and it would be bad for them yet at the same time um this defense I think I think it impressed me um both in – and the production of sort of the younger defensive ends and, and the rest of the defensive line. But also, if, if you looked at it, they showed a little bit of creativity that they didn't show... Um, when Chase Young was out there, and it was specifically on in third down scenarios, you saw whether it be the linebackers coming out the middle on twists, you saw defensive ends standing up outside, you saw uh, Rashad Berry in the game, you saw Zach Harrison a defensive tackle, and I think earlier in the year, um, you saw a lot of just them relying on Chase Young to get sacks on third down because guess what, Chase Young was going to get sacks on third down. That's just what he sort of did. They didn't have to have these creative packages that maybe leave a, a hole if you can find if an off can find it. Um, Chase Young covers that kind of stuff up, and it doesn't force you to do that, Um, and I think you would see more of that, and I think we'll see maybe a little bit more of that against Rutgers, and if Chase Young was out against Penn State and Michigan, I think you'd see uh, continue to see more of that.
0: Yeah, and I think Penn State and Michigan are a step up in competition, but they're still not LSU or Clemson, so I think you look ahead to a college football playoff. You'd really, you really like to have Chase Young back for those games. But I, I think, I think they'd be okay against Penn State and Michigan. That's not saying that I don't think Penn State and Michigan will be challenges. But I think they're playing well enough on defense that that they they can still play well against those teams even without their best defensive player. You know, Tech69 asked about. Why Baron Browning and Joshua Allaby didn't play on Saturday. Baron Browning actually did play one snap early in the game. He lined up as an outside linebacker in a free four package. I don't know exactly what situation is there, but I would imagine it's a minor injury situation that they just wanted to be cautious with. He did miss the game against Northwestern, so I would imagine they just wanted to be cautious, not push him too hard against Maryland. Same thing with Joshua Albee. He had missed a couple games with an injury, so I imagine that was a situation where they thought, let's get Dewan Jones some playing time. Let's get Kevin Woodkey some playing time. Didn't really feel the need to throw Joshua Albee in there if he wasn't 100%. So I think they're just taking it easy with those guys, giving them some time to get back. I would imagine if they're not 100%, they could be limited against Rutgers this week too.
1: Tech 69
0: also, oh, go ahead, Colin. Yeah, I was just going to
1: continue with the second part of the question, um, which was um, the freshman. He he says the freshman wide receivers seem to have passed up Jalen Harris. Do you see him and Elijah Gardner as possible transfers in the offseason? And. it's not like you ever want to speculate about transfers, but at the same time, you just you naturally look at the depth chart and you wonder where um, where those kind of guys are going to be contributing, and especially when you look at a wide receiver class that has four top 100 recruits coming in. Um, I think I think it's fair to wonder. What exactly they, they see as as Jalen Harris and Elijah Gardner's future? Because they have um, two more years of eligibility, and they they still haven't they haven't uh, managed to find consistent playing time at, at receiver. I think I think that there's still a possibility there, but they have to they have to show something in the spring, and it has to be next year because you have a really talented group of wide receivers coming in.
0: Yeah, I I really don't like speculating on transfers, but. Certainly those guys are running out of time. The fact that you know they didn't even play in the last game, I'm not sure if those were injury situations. I know Gardner has missed some time. He's been unavailable for part of a year. Yep. Harris was not listed on the injury report. I'm not sure what the situation was there, but certainly those are guys moving into the back end of their career. They've certainly been passed up by Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson, and it would appear Jamison Williams at this point as well. And with those talented receivers coming in, like Colin said, they might have a chance next year because Austin Mack's going to be gone, Benjamin Victor's going to be gone, K.J. Hill's going to be gone. There's, there's going to be some spots up for grabs in that receiving core, but if they don't seize the opportunity next off season, then it is going to be very difficult for them to ever really get on the field at Ohio State. Yep. And final question. Zimmy07 asked us about how Ohio State abused Maryland's quarters coverage. Uh, Kyle Jones did a good film study for 11 Warriors this week about kind of a vertical passing game that Ohio State had used and how successful that was against Maryland. And then his question is, is one week long enough for Rutgers to put something else in play? It ain't going to matter. It ain't going to matter. Rutgers can do whatever it wants on defense. It ain't going to matter. Rutgers doesn't have the talent to match up with Ohio State's offense. So I don't think a year would be long enough right now for Rutgers to draw up something that would stop Ohio State's offense. They uh, couldn't
1: they couldn't do anything. I mean they what they should yeah. do is just run a bunch of trick plays. Like that's the only that's the only chance they have to put any points on the board, especially early.
0: Yeah. I mean I'm sure their defense will try to adjust to what they've seen from Ohio State's offense, but I just I, I just don't think. I just don't think it matters. Rutgers hasn't shown the ability to adjust to anybody this year. So, if Rutgers comes up with some game plan that stymies Ohio State, that would shock me. I think the bigger question is whether Penn State will be able to see what Ohio State is doing well, well, and whether they'll be able to adjust because they actually have the talent to match up with the Buckeyes. Uh, I think this week. This week, I think. Oh, I think. Oh, first of all, I think. Oh, I would think Ohio State's game plan will be very vanilla because they, they, they don't need to do a lot to beat Rutgers this week. They're gonna need a lot more against Penn State and Michigan. And yeah, if I was Rutgers, I would be going for some trick plays. Rutgers is coming off a bye week. They should be trying to unleash some things that they have up their sleeves. But I'd be shocked if it's nearly enough. Yeah, it will not be
1: enough. I just want to see some flea flickers. I want to see some reverse passes. Give it to me, Rutgers. That's what we want.
0: Well, we've kept you guys long enough. Thank you all for listening in to another episode of Real Pod Wednesdays. Lots to talk about this week. Certainly there's going to be a lot to talk about next week with Penn State coming up next on the schedule. But for this week, Ohio State basketball plays Wednesday night. 7 p.m. against Villanova on FS1. And the football team will be playing at Rutgers, 3.30 p.m. on BTN. We will be in Piscataway for that game. So be sure to stay tuned with 11 Warriors for full coverage of all things Ohio State football and basketball. And we will talk to you guys next week. Thanks again for listening in.